Hello, I'm your host, Gillian Semler. You're listening to Let's Talk, brought to you by Citilets and Arla Property Mart Scotland. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show for the world of property letting, investment, legislation, personal stories and much more. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citilets.co.uk. Today, my guest is Stuart Petrie, Tax Director at Anderson, Anderson and Brown. Morning, Stuart. Morning, Gillian. Now, AAB are one of the UK's leading chartered accountants and business advisory firms who adopt the plus factor through the services delivered. Can you explain more about this? Yep. Um, thanks, Gillian. Certainly for, for us at the AAB, the, the plus factor that you mentioned there is more than words. Um, it's our approach um, with all our clients is to add value and the plus factor forms a huge part of that. And um, there's certainly four or five different strands to the plus factor, which I'm, I could outline for you. Um, it's about saving our clients time. It's about giving our clients peace of mind um, helping our clients make money and supporting our clients now and in the future. And hopefully because of this, our, our clients enjoy working with us. Um, the plus factor will mean different things to different clients. Um, those, those strands I mentioned, um, so for example, for property clients, you know, the saving our clients time piece could be assistance with their record keeping if that's out of control. Um, we could be implementing a cloud accounting system, helping and supporting them with that, you know, in order to save them time with their record keeping. Um, for helping our clients make money, again, in terms of from a property client aspect, that could be um, about ensuring that our clients are claiming all expenses, allowable business expenses for their property businesses, um, making sure they maximise their tax relief claims, um, you know, things like that. Reducing the tax bills equates, in our mind, to helping our clients make money. So, um, and also the supporting them now and in the future. For all our clients, we're, we're really looking to develop our long-term relationships in order to provide the best advice possible. Um, we look to be the go-to, the trusted advisor. Um, AB turns 30 this year. and Many of our clients have actually had from day one. So um, I think it's fair to say from our perspective the, and from our client's perspective, hopefully, the, the plus factor approach is, is a large part of that, the service we provide. Okay, so who are um, AAB's typical clientele? Um, interesting question, Julian, because we don't have one as such. I mean, our, our client base is so varied. Um, I suppose to give you some understanding, I help lead our business advisory group, Anderson Anderson Brown. That consists of approximately 50 staff and over 1,900 different clients. Um, they're all different shapes and sizes and, and trade sectors, retail, farming, oil and gas, and, and with property and construction also forming a, a large part of our client base. I suppose right. to give you some idea, Julian, we, we have looked at our client base and you know around about 10% of all the work we do is with our property and construction clients. So they are very important to us and that's allowed us to develop our our expertise over many years, I think it's fair to say. Right, well, regarding property taxation, how has the landscape changed over the last four years? Um, I think it's fair to say it's changed fairly dramatically um, in the last four years. Not always for the best, I would have to say. I mean, I think landlords would feel, and rightly so, they are having a tough time at the moment. 
Um, starting from 2016, you know, the introduction of the uh, annual dwellings supplement, you know, 3% annual dwelling supplement, um, an increase in the capital gains tax rate to 28%. We moved on to 2017, um, and a major change was the restriction of tax relief on finance costs, effectively the, the mortgage interest element, and that was when it was introduced, and we are feeling the full impact of that now. 2018, with the introduction of Scottish income tax rates, which increased income tax for Scottish residents. Um, 2019, the, the ADS charge was increased to 4%. Um, and then 2020, we now have the full restriction um, to tax relief on, on mortgage loan interest, significant reductions to private residence relief claims, and the real-time reporting um, in terms of property disposals and payment of any capital gains tax due within 30 days um, now. So really some significant changes. Um, I'm sorry if that all sounds a bit uh, depressing <laughs> to, to, to landlords. And I must state that there are um, still a number of tax planning opportunities that, that exist for, for, for our landlords. Um, once careful consideration is obviously given to their particular facts and circumstances, there are still uh, tax planning opportunities. There's, there's no getting away from that. But a lot of the changes the government tried to enforce were uh, looking to increase taxes, if you like. Yeah. Well, now that tax relief on mortgage interest, you know, as well as the 10% wear and tear allowance have been abolished, can you give me a brief example of the tax implications for a landlord who's on a higher tax band, i.e. how much tax would they pay in 2020 compared to 2016? Yeah, um, it's an interesting question, Julian, and, and again, as a common question that we get when we look at the impact on, on a number of these tax changes, the restriction on tax relief on, on mortgage interest being one of the main ones. So, I mean, if we look back to 2016 compared to 20, let's say we had a, a property that... Um, had a rental profit of, let's say, £6,000 um, before mortgage interest. In 2016, um, the taxable profit, um, if, if, the, if, the pro if the rental profit was 6000 and the interest was four, the taxable profit um, would have been £2,000 for a higher rate taxpayer, the tax charge circa £800. Um, we look at that same situation with the same numbers in 2020 for a higher rate taxpayer, all of a sudden, with the rental profit, the taxable profit has remained the same at £6,000. There is no deduction for that £4,000 loan interest, which means the tax liability has jumped from £800 to circa £1,600. So you're really looking at a doubling of the tax liability and an increase of the tax rate effectively, the effective tax rate from 40% to 80% in some yeah. in some circumstances. So quite significant increases. And, and again, another reason why we look at all the tax planning opportunities to see what we can do um, for our clients to reduce that pretty excessive number, you know. Yeah. Well, well, then, what expenses can a landlord still claim against their property income to reduce the tax bill? Um, I suppose, despite the restrictions I mentioned, there are still um, many expenses that can be claimed um, on an annual basis. You know, we, we look at things like if the landlord has to meet utility bills, gas, electric, council tax, insurance costs, agents' fees, factoring fees, cleaning, repairs, redecoration, um, and the replacement of domestic items. If it is a replacement, we can claim a, a full deduction for those. 
even part of our accountancy fees, we can we make sure and claim those and um, to reduce the tax. There also is still the opportunity to claim, you know, renter room relief where you can potentially exempt, you know, up to seven and a half thousand from from rent altogether, you know, and tax free. There are certain conditions to be met. Um, this must relate to renting a room in your own home. But if, if you can meet those conditions, there are still um, opportunities um, to claim expenses or exempt something from tax altogether. So there are still opportunities there. Okay, well, well what if a landlord is making a loss? Can he offset this? Um, yes. In, in terms of rental losses, they are, there are more restrictions on what um, you can allow to actually do with those, the claims you can make. Um, the common one is certainly if there's a rental loss on a particular property, you can set that off against any profits and other properties you've got in your portfolio. Um, not only that, but what can be very valuable is if you make a loss in a particular tax year and overall rental loss, you can carry that forward um, to set against future um, rental profits. So, you know, just because you make a, a loss in one year, it's not gone altogether. You know, there's no, you know, it's not like there's no opportunity to claim that loss and you, there's no restriction on how many years you can carry that forward. So yeah. um, once we establish that loss, um, we can look to, to do, claim that, carry that forward, sorry, for as long as it takes, if you like. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. Probably another loss I would mention, Gillian, just, just while we're talking about losses, if you happen to be unlucky enough to sell a property, you know, below for what you paid for it, yeah. um, that's what's termed a capital loss. And again, you can carry that forward to set against any capital gains in future. So again, that may be property sales in future where you have a, a significant gain on, you can reduce the capital gains tax payable by claiming that loss that you've established in an earlier year. So there are still possibilities there and losses are a bit more flexible in terms of what you can claim if you have a if you run your property business through a company. Okay. Well you mentioned earlier actually about you know there's been some changes to CGT. Um, there's also been some other changes to the property landscape this year, including um, LBTT with the pandemic. So can you just explain a bit more about what these are, what these changes um, include? Sure. Um, certainly, the, the main one from from our perspective is capital gains tax for this year is is the change in the reporting time limits and the payment time limits. So, um, previously you would have anything up to you know sort of eighteen months to to um, to report and pay um, any disposal of a, of, of a residential property um, to HMRC. That's now been changed, and you know where where a capital gain um, is relevant the um, property disposal must be reported within a 30-day period. The gain must be calculated and reported to HMRC within 30 days of sale. Um, not only that, that um, the tax must also be calculated and paid over to HMRC within the same 30-day period. So a really significant tightening of the rules there and a you know, restriction in terms of the, the amount of time you have to actually pay over the tax to HMRC. So quite a significant change there. And one that I'm finding not a lot of people are aware of, um, and there are fairly significant penalties if you miss these deadlines. So um, in terms of getting the message out there, I do think that's worth spreading that message to, to landlords or anyone who's in a position to be selling a property when there's a gain, um, you know, a potential gain there. Um, in terms of in terms of the LBTT that you mentioned, um, there have been some um, 
reductions to LBTT because of the COVID situation. Um, we, we always take advice. We've, we've got partnerships with various lawyers and we, we sort of refer to the land and buildings transaction tax as a, a lawyer's tax. So even, even us and our firm do um, take advice from lawyers in terms of where LBTT or land and buildings transaction tax or stamp duty, if it's an English property, um, is involved. And there have been reductions because of the, as you say, because of the COVID situation. Those reductions, to be honest, are not that significant for Scotland and LBTT. They are more significant for stamp duty in England. So, um, but it is very much something to consider um, should any um, purchases be being made um, the, the LBTT position does need looked at very closely, especially at the moment, Gillian, yeah. Okay. Well, well what are common mistakes, Stuart, that landlords often make regarding tax? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting question. I suppose the first and most important one I would mention, Gillian, is not reporting their rental profits at all. Um, <laughs> we do come across this on a fairly regular basis that um, someone will come to us looking for help. You know, they've maybe had a letter from HMRC. Um, HMRC have got an awful lot of information um, at their fingertips now electronically about properties that are, rent are rented out. Um, mm -hmm. They are um, sending out letters um, on a consistent basis asking landlords why rental income hasn't been reported. And so we do a lot of disclosure work there. Um, just, you know, setting out the facts to HMRC um, you know, that they could vary entirely depending on someone's personal circumstances, why a property wasn't rented. You know, there, there could be a combination of mistakes, a misunderstanding of the rules. Maybe somebody's inherited a property. Maybe someone's moved out their main residence and just decided to rent it out and hasn't thought through the consequences. Whole variety of reasons. But we do a lot of disclosure work to HMRC. It's not the end of the world if you get a letter from HMRC, but it does need dealt with. Um, so non-reporting was one of them. The other one, I suppose, or another couple I should mention, and it's very common for landlords to be claiming their full mortgage payments, you know, um, including any capital elements of the mortgage payments that they're making. A lot of, of landlords think they're they're making a loss situation or not making a profit because of the mortgage payments they've made, but that's simply not the case. You, you can only deduct um, the interest element of any mortgage payments that are made. And even then, as we've discussed earlier, that has been restricted, you know, since 2016, even the amount you can claim there. So that that's a pretty common one. I suppose the final one I would mention maybe is jointly held property. Um, the tax reporting must follow the legal ownership. So it doesn't matter who receives the rental income, you know, it may be paid into in a husband or a wife's bank account. Um, that's, that's a common one. And, and the reporting will be done on that basis. But it really is down to who actually owns the property and, and in what shares the tax reporting should follow that. So um, unfortunately, I suppose that's that's a common mistake we come across, Julian. Right. OK, well, what tax efficient routes are available to landlords, you know, in order to maximise the profits? Let's start with limited companies. When would you recommend this to a landlord? You know, what are the pros and cons? Is it, I know it's not suitable for every landlord. Um, no, and it, it's not, Julian, and that's a very good point you've made there. It, it isn't suitable for, for every landlord. I mean, it is probably still one of the most common questions we get. Um, 
primarily because of the loan interest restrictions that apply to individual higher rate taxpayers. They do not apply to companies. So um, landlords are becoming more aware of this, and, and it's a very common question we get. Should I make my property business a limited company? Should I incorporate my property business? Um, there are a lot of things to consider um, before someone should go ahead and do that. You know, things such as current property values, original property costs, any reliefs that are available, um, the level of any loans or debt needs to be taken into consideration, and also the future plans for the property business. Are you looking to invest further? Is the property business going to continue for a number of years? Or you know, are you thinking of selling the property soon? All of these facts need to be taken into account before um, a decision can be made. You need to look at the, the tax uh, transaction costs of incorporation, weigh those up against the benefits, because there are potentially a number of benefits, tax benefits to having a, a property company. So you weigh the two up together and then you can make an informed decision. We certainly do a lot of work in terms of what we call benefits we cost analysis. And um, we do produce cash flow forecasts for our clients, which include potential tax savings over a perhaps a five or a 10 year period. So, so you can then make an informed decision about whether a property company would be right for you. So we do a lot of work in that area, can be beneficial, as you say, not appropriate for everyone. Um, I suppose the other one I would mention at this time, if it's capital taxes you're interested in, um, is the trust structure. Again, we're still doing a lot of, of work um, um, in putting properties or property company shares into trust. Um, there are some improved tax reliefs um, compared to holding properties outright personally. Um, you can pass assets potentially into a trust without incurring tax charges, capital gains tax being the main one. And a lot of our clients like the fact that you can use a trust structure to retain some control uh, in the property ownership um, without passing it direct to another family member, for example. So still a place for, for the trust structure as well and, and the companies, but again, like you say, based on really someone's personal circumstances. Absolutely. Okay, well, let's discuss taxes and reliefs for long-term financial planning. So can we use a case study, say, as an example, um, a married couple with two children, portfolio of six properties with you know some mortgages over some of the properties? Okay, um, Gillian, yeah, I mean, that's it's probably a, a typical type scenario and that someone will, as I mentioned, will come to us and say, you know, should I be in, incorporating my property company? Um, if we look at a situation whereby, you know, you do have a family set up, like you've mentioned, perhaps the, the parents involved are already bought both higher rate taxpayers, they've maybe got significant assets and income elsewhere, um, so they don't actually need to spend all the rental profits. Um, and again, as I mentioned, we would look at the values of the properties and the tax transaction costs in, in incorporating the company on, on moving the properties into the, the corporate vehicle. Um, the main ones are, are we going to expose the, the properties or the individuals to capital gains tax or land and buildings transaction tax, LBTT, like we mentioned earlier. Um, we would do some work around that, establish um, what the full tax costs on getting the properties into the company may be, then look at all the capital gains tax reliefs that are potentially available to reduce the capital gains tax number, look at the LBTT reliefs that are available, again, potentially to, to, to reduce that LBTT number on incorporation, 
if the numbers then add up, I know we could potentially move the properties into a property company. We then look at not only that, it's a look at the personal tax situation, look at um, the opportunities for um, remuneration planning in moving the funds from the company back out to the family on an annual basis, potentially. Could we look at um, you know, paying dividends out to the shareholders? Um, could we look at making company pension contributions into their own pension funds? And these are just a couple of the main things people are interested in. But once you have that company structure, we then certainly have to look at the personal tax planning that comes from that for the directors for the shareholders. And if all these type of things begin to add up, you know, if the tax transaction costs are low going in, if the planning can be made and the funds coming out, the reinvestment can be made with, within the company. You know, the company only potentially cover, suffers tax at 19% on the annual profits versus potentially a 41 or a 46% personal tax charge if you live in Scotland. You know, the benefits there start to add up potentially and then, you know, look to go ahead to, to incorporate that property company for that particular family. It can work, but again, as I've already mentioned, it, it all depends on the, the long-term plans, the short-term plans, and, it, and very much the personal circumstances of, of the particular family in question. Yeah, absolutely. Well, moving on to succession planning, with inheritance tax standing at 40% on the value of a deceased estate, and as far as I believe, there's no relief for personal or corporate residential letting businesses, what can be done to, um, to minimise exposure to this tax liability? Can, say, can we use the previous case study as an example again? Okay, Gillian, again, a, a very good question. And actually, perhaps the most important point as you've actually outlined there in your question. Um, people come to us thinking because they run a, a property business that um, it's covered from an inheritance tax relief perspective and it's not exposed to inheritance tax because there are various um, tax relief, particularly business tax reliefs for inheritance tax, but HMRC view a property business, now that's whether that's run personally or whether run through a corporate vehicle, um, as an investment business, not a trading business. What that means for inheritance tax is the value of the properties or the value of the company um, are potentially fully exposed, exposed to 40% inheritance tax. Um, and I'll caveat that even further in that, you know, we're looking at a 40%, 40% sorry, inheritance, potential inheritance tax charge just now that may even increase in the spring budget that's coming. We don't know what's going to happen. You know, the Chancellor has set out that he's going to look at to increase taxes, um, maybe income tax, maybe capital gains tax, maybe significant changes to inheritance tax. There's consultations ongoing right now. So very good point you make yourself there, Gillian. Um, potentially significant exposure to inheritance tax for property businesses. Yes. Um, what can be done in terms of inheritance tax? I touched on the, the trust structure. Um, again, we're doing a fair amount of work in this particular area. Um, company shares, in the example we mentioned earlier, the property company was suitable for that particular family. So we decided um, to incorporate the property business. We've now got family potentially family members holding company shares as opposed to properties. Um, 
it's easier to transfer company shares into a trust, you know, rather than fractional parts of properties, for example. Um, we would potentially therefore go ahead and transfer company shares into trust. Um, the mother and father in that example could be um, trustees of the trust. The children could be beneficiaries, beneficiaries of the trust. Um, therefore, the, the parents retain that degree of control, as I mentioned. Um, the children couldn't sell the properties outright, for example. Um, it works for getting the shares into trust without incurring you know, capital gains tax, for example. Um, the, there is the potential opportunity to, to, to get the, um, the value in the, sh the shares that is transferred into trust out of the um, mother and father's estate altogether in that example, um, in estate for inheritance tax, I mean. So um, with some planning, um, there's certainly some fairly significant amounts um, can be moved out of the mother and father's estate you know, into the trust and therefore um, reducing the potential exposure to the 40% inheritance tax that I mentioned if we utilise those nil rate bands as we call them. So it's up to, you know, 325,000 per person or, or 650,000, um, you know, per married couple. So potentially some significant savings there can be made. Perfect. Well, AAB have recently set up a team of nine specialists, including yourself, to form a dedicated service for family businesses. So tell us a bit more about this, as you know, we know that family businesses are the backbone of the UK economy, they, they contributing to 28% of the UK's GDP. Yeah, um, it's fair to say, Gillian, delighted to be involved in, in, in this new dedicated team for family businesses. Um, we have certainly recognised that we, we have always acted for family businesses. They, they, um, they take up a huge part of our, of our firm. Um, AB's been around for, for 30 years now, um, just this year actually. And from, from day one, we've, we've been advising family businesses. We take great pride in the partnerships that we've created with our family businesses. Um, we enjoy being their trusted advisors and um, really because of the relationships we, we develop um, and the added value service we strive to provide in, on an ongoing basis. You know, I mentioned earlier on the plus factor, the added value service. Um, these are things that we, we continue to provide for our, our family business type clients. Um, they can be complex and they do require potentially a different type of advice to some of our other clients. So it's really just sort of building on that experience, that expertise. Um, and as I say, the creation of this team, I think from our perspective, just reinforces um, the, the expertise and the advice that we already provide um, and sort of helps from our perspective, helps ensure that we continue to deliver that first class service offering to our family business clients a number of which have trading businesses and uh, property, you know, interests as well. So, you know, exciting times and, and we are delighted to, to continue on that basis, yeah. Perfect. Well, listen, sure, it's been a pleasure having you on Let's Talk. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much, Gillian. R really appreciate it. Thank you. I'm Gillian Sandler. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, don't forget to subscribe to the Let's Talk channel on all the usual platforms, including Spotify, iTunes and SoundCloud, as well as on citylets.co.uk forward slash podcasts. 
and also let your friends know where to find us. Let's Talk is a dedicated property show providing insight into the world of property letting. More information on today's show can always be found on our show notes along with this podcast. If you want to get in touch, just reach out. Let's Talk at citylets.co.uk.